You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Chad Dundas. That's Ben Folks. We're both longtime MMA journalists, and for nearly the last nine years, we've been meeting here every week to break down all the action in the wild, weird, and occasionally wonderful world of mixed martial arts. Ben, I'm going to cut straight to the chase this week. How's the stock doing? Okay. You know what? I was hoping that you would ask me about that. It's, man, the stock market is wild. I don't know if you knew that. (laughs) Now, see, uh... All listeners may not know this, but the beloved patrons of the Co-Main Event podcast will remember from last week where you reported in on Friday that uh, at the Endeavor initial public offering this past week, you used some Co-Main Event podcast funds to purchase exactly one share mm-hmm. of Endeavor, uh, which, right. which makes us owners of the UFC. Yeah, we own one UFC right now. That is what we have. So- exactly one. So what's going on with the price? Is it up? Can we retire? Is this the last episode of the Co-Main Event Podcast? My dude, I mean, we got in at about 25 bucks. Okay. Right now, we're sitting at $30.76. Holy shit, we are fucking rich. Mm-hmm. We're rich, my friend. Mm-hmm. God, we better start saying our goodbyes right now because we're moving <laughs> yeah. to a private island. I have secured a private island. I just want to let everyone know that I intend to 100% forget all the people I knew on the way up because now that we're wealthy, we're going to have a whole new class of friends, you know, just a whole new peer group and everybody with they broke ass that knew us back when, man, don't even call this number anymore. Because you know what? I'm going to tell my butler not to answer. We're going to be rolling with that snow in the driveway fleet of Ferraris, high-end blackjack room at the Palms friend group, whatever that is. From what I can tell, they seem like awesome people, and I am excited to meet them and become one of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just a an ethically upstanding group are the super wealthy from everything I've heard. One thing that does give me pause... And I, I just, I would be remiss if I did not mention this, Chad. Um, in the time that it has been Endeavor, you know, the current multi-headed monster that it is, that's in a little bit of everything. Endeavor has never been profitable. How much do you think we should be concerned about this as shareholders? Not at all. I'm okay. not even okay. on my radar. All I care about is that that our stock is up five dollars. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's the entire. That's two fifty each, my man. I know. Yeah. You know. Yeah. That's. I can't wait, man. I can't wait for this thing to take off. And that's after like we we bought it on Thursday. So at this rate, <laughs> okay. Yep. If things continue, I mean. I, I just, I don't see why we shouldn't get the champagne on ice right now. That's right. I like the way you think. Mm-hmm. Remember, you're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast proper. This show drops every Monday afternoon for free in your timelines or podcast libraries. And if you think we're having fun right now, brothers and sisters, you absolutely need to check out what's going on over at patreon.com slash co-main event because Ben Folks and I are party rocking over there. Three additional podcasts every single week. If you don't get your MMA fix from this show, You can check out Wednesday's live chat. You can check out Friday's Power Hour podcast. And for the true heads, there is the Thursday Movie Club, where this week, Ben, tell them what we're going to be watching. Mortal Kombat! That's right. We're going to be watching the new Mortal Kombat movie. So jump on board, patreon.com slash co-main event. It's going to be fun. We're going to have some fun over there. This is grab bag movie month, so anything can happen, really. We got music this week uh, from our guy, CME listener and beloved patron of the podcast, Doug Ty, a.k.a. Spider Fighting. He makes instrumental beat music that straddles the non-existent line between aging indie dork and backpack boom bap. That is his description. 
If you like what you hear from him on the show, you can check out more over at soundcloud.com slash spider fighting. Three rounds as usual this week in the co-main event podcast. In round number one, absolute wild man Yuri Prohazka is two wins into his UFC run and already a title contender. Fuck us up with that hair, though. And in round number two, young Serge Kayla Harrison, the Tom Brady of MMA, and Big Pretty will all be in action on Friday night, though you might have to do some channel surfing to see them all. And in round number three, chaos reigns as Corey Sandhagen versus TJ Dillashaw falls apart and Diego Sanchez makes an unexpected exit. What's really going on at UFC on ESPN 24? All that, plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff? But first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. The first piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Chetitan E. Old Person, who writes, Do you think we'll see rule changes in the future regarding grounded opponents? There are there was already quite a bit of discussion on this with the contrast between the Aljo Yan fight and the DJ Morace fight. However, Random Marcos took it to the next level. It seems like common sense that a grounded opponent should be able to attack a grounded opponent. Call mm-hmm. me old fashioned. Okay. This is also a belief that I share. Similar to how I a few weeks back expressed my theory that if you are able to hit somebody in the back of the head while they are looking at you, you should be allowed to do it. I think if you are a grounded opponent, you ought to be able to kick or knee the head of a grounded opponent. I also think this exact sort of exchange that we saw in the this fight that cost Rand Marcos a, a DQ loss, that kind of highlights why the grounded opponent rule is so tough to expect the fighters to totally know at all times because she's up kicking off her back. Yeah. Right. And like from where she is on her back, it's a little bit tough to tell when you're looking up, worried about somebody's hands and elbows coming down at you. Like that's where your focus is as a fighter defensively in that situation. You're kicking up to try to attack and try to get yourself some space and and make the opponent back off enough to where you can get up. It's tough for you to also be expected to, Take a moment there and look over and see if her knee is down. Because in the time it takes you to do that, she might just blast you right in the face. And I, yeah, it, it seems like that should at least be some kind of amendment we can make to the rule. I mean, honestly, it doesn't just seem like whenever we get into all these intricacies of the down fighter rule, it just makes me want to just chuck the whole thing and let's just go pride style, baby. And, uh, we, we could make things a lot easier on ourselves than we are. Yeah. And in a uh, philosophical way, I agree with you. I think in a, in a workable way, we've had this conversation on the show before. I would not hold my breath for yeah. any manner of edits to the unified rules, the hybrid unified rules that are going to allow additional strikes or more damage to be uh, inflicted on various MMA fighters anytime soon. I don't think that's the direction... Uh, that at least here in America, the unified rules are going to go. Uh, in this case, like, I think you're right. Like, I think it's hard when you were in the position that Randa Marcos was in over the weekend to tell if, if Luana Pinero had had her knees down or if she was up on her feet or what was happening. The real crime or the real shame, I should say, in this in this upkick is that those two kind of had a little crackerjack of a fight going uh, where Luana Pinero was was breaking out every judo throw under the sun. And in fact, remember... Uh, Remember during the formative times of women's MMA in the UFC, they used to catch some heat. People used to catch heat because everybody was trying to do that headlock takedown, the headlock mm-hmm. throw. Uh, they still do that. Everybody yeah. Still does and that. you know who does it dope? Luana Pinheiro. She's she's out there making it look good, making it work. And like seemed to spike Randa Marcos on her head a couple few times with those throws. But uh, I was disappointed to see this one called off via DQ because of that upkick. And I don't want to start sounding like a broken record because it was just last week on the Power Hour that I had to talk about in the wake of our beloved Rug Rug's first career professional loss over in one championship last week that we got to stop doing this shit where we are all trying to uh, do our best Dr. Joe Rogan impression, who is already doing his best impression of a medical doctor, by the way. 
to try to figure out what is going on with the person who got fouled. We got to stop trying to figure out if they're acting or if they're hurt or if they're not as hurt as they pretend to be. We just need to stop doing all that stuff. And I mean, as a culture, as a subculture, we got to stop doing that. And, you know, you saw it from the UFC broadcast team this past weekend, although Paul Felder, after originally uh, saying that he thought Luana Pinheiro was uh, was faking it a little bit, was doing a little bit of acting. He kind of he kind of amended himself as we moved forward with with watching the slow motion replays and things like that. But uh, we got to start paying more critical attention to the person who commits the foul and not always put the person who is fouled in this defensive position like they have done something wrong because they absolutely have not. And we're really the only sport that does that. If you are a NFL defensive end and you're being held and you do the thing where you throw your arms up and really try to stretch it out so that they can see your, your jersey being pulled and maybe throw yourself on the ground, no one is being like, what a dick for really trying to draw that penalty. I mean, they might get you a little bit in sports like soccer and stuff for embellishment, but nobody else is doing it the way we are doing where we are where you have been wronged, you have been fouled by an illegal move and we will all focus our attention and pressure intensely on you immediately after in those moments. Like we do need to stop that. Next question this week comes to us uh, from Shad Rap, who writes, Jonathan Dwight Jones leaves the light heavyweight division for two seconds, and now there's at least two light heavyweight matchups I'd like to see him in, not even counting Israel Adesanya. Do you think there's a chance Jones and the UFC figure out their differences in time to see Jones at heavyweight and Jones return to light heavyweight? Do you think we'll ever see uh, one of those at this point? Uh, you know, you might have thought that this was something of a lost cause. The idea of John Jones versus Francis Ngannou, it sounded like, you know, at least from the UFC's perspective, at least publicly, maybe even trying to send a message to the people involved that they had moved on from this idea and we were full speed ahead on a heavyweight title defense for Francis Ngannou against Derek Lewis. John Jones has certainly not given up on it, though. He's out there. Was it over the weekend? He's making these tweets where he's out there saying, uh, you know, motivate me more Francis and all this stuff like continuing to harp on this idea that that's the fight to make and that's the thing he wants he's also uh at least if his social media is to be believed training like a mad person he's I saw him on I saw him on the internet running 20 miles an hour Ben you know Chad as a shareholder I would like to announce that I have amended my position on the John Jones Francis and Ganu fight I think uh I think this one is about pride. I don't think it should be about money. You know, I think, uh, I think both guys should just do this for their contracted pay and they should share in the proceeds of the fight as is written in their contracts for a, a pay-per-view bout. Um, and, and I think we should all just be happy to be here. You know what I mean? And if we can't do that, then we're going to do Francis Ngannou versus Derek Lewis too. And we're going to take our ESPN plus guaranteed pay-per-view money. And then we're just going to move on with our lives. Wow, man. You, that's me. That, that's shareholder Ben Folks. You've changed. Get used to it. This is sad. This is really a sad development on the co-main event podcast. <laughs> the guy gets 30 bucks in his pocket. <laughs> right, the next 250 thing you know. of that is profit to me, by the way. Okay. Seriously, though, this question does highlight one of the, the bits of leverage, I guess, in this ongoing negotiation that we haven't talked too much about, which is... What if the UFC does just say to John Jones, okay, look, you don't want the Francis Ngannou fight? We'll give Francis Ngannou to Derek Lewis. You say you're a heavyweight now? Let's see. Let's look around and see who else we got for you. Mm, let's see. John Jones versus Tom Aspinall. What do you think about that one? No, you don't like it? You're going to say no? Okay, we'll extend your contract another six months and we'll let you know when we have another fight offer. Like, if they really wanted to be jerks about it, they could really keep him twisting in the wind at heavyweight and, like you said... If he has put in all that work into remaking his body as a heavyweight, it doesn't sound like it'd be super easy to just go, okay, screw it. I'm a light heavyweight again. And they they have him in a – I mean, they also might have him in a tough spot in that if your contract says you only get pay-per-view points if you're the champion in a pay-per-view and you gave up your belt, you don't have one of those belts now, they could really stick it to John Jones 
and make it so that there's just nothing but bad options for him to choose from so that he'll be begging to fight Francis Ngannou for his contracted pay. You know, and I don't know, like, it is an interesting point that we, we see him move up a division and now suddenly light heavyweight gets interesting again. I would argue that at least some of that is because he has moved up. Yeah. He was such a dominating force there that then once you take him out of the equation, the division seems a little more wide open, which in turn means that it seems, at least for a time, more fun and more competitive because you don't have one of the greatest fighters in the history of the sport just absolutely holding it down at the top. Uh, but I also think that it's going to be sooner or later in everybody's best interest to make a deal with John Jones to fight somebody for some kind of belt, right? You'd think that. It does kind of make me wonder what the end game is here for all parties involved, uh, especially because, as you mentioned, John Jones packing on that those extra pounds. This guy already faced a tremendous cut to get down to 205 before. Doesn't seem like you know that's going to be in the realm of possibility for him in the near future. And, you know, if you're the UFC, I guess you have this sort of uh, point to make or at least negotiating position to underline. And like I said before, maybe you are trying to send a message not only to John Jones and Francis Ngannou, but also other people on the roster who might get the idea that they should be fairly compensated, uh, that that's just not going to be the case. And and so you you do end up moving forward with, with somewhat underwhelming heavyweight title possibilities but my god man we finally got the heavyweight title around the waist of a guy who seems like he could potentially be a sort of like generational figure in the sport uh just in terms of like marketability and uh taking the brand places that we haven't seen it go before and you also got john jones the greatest light heavyweight of all time on the very short list for greatest mma fighters of all time explicitly saying that he wants that fight leaving his old division behind, giving up the title. You know he's serious about it. If you if you don't believe him, just check out the training footage and you can see that, like, uh, that light heavyweight just doesn't seem to be an option for him at this point. If they don't make this one happen... It's it's gonna it's gonna sting. It's gonna burn. It already yeah. does. I can't believe that, that we're even having this conversation right now that we wouldn't think about paying these two guys what they're worth in order to make what could be the biggest MMA fight of all time happened. And that the reason that we would not do it is pure greed because we, because from the UFC's perspective, it's not enough to profit a lot off this fight. You have to profit an insane amount. And if you can't do that, and if you you're afraid that maybe paying John Jones a higher guaranteed sum in order to make an absolute barn burner mega fight, might convince other people to try for the same thing later on and you just don't want to start down that slippery slope. It's just the worst possible reason to not do a fight that seems like it'd be just a guaranteed hit for everybody. Next question this week comes to us from Cody Bernston, who writes, As those that are down with the CME Patreon are aware, the continuing depressing saga of Diego Sanchez was discussed on the Power Hour last week. Well, since that took place, Josh Fabia has leaked audio from a phone conversation that took place with the UFC's Hunter Campbell. I don't really have anything to add to this other than just hoping that Diego Sanchez is okay. This, I guess you could say this escalated quickly if we're going to steal a, uh, a a meme from Ron Burgundy, I guess. Uh, we all thought Diego Sanchez was heading into this fight this weekend with uh, with Donald the Cowboy Cerrone, and then last week... Reports began to trickle out first that Diego Sanchez was not going to be in that fight, then that he had been cut from the UFC. Uh, then he actually released these video clips of Josh Fabia and Diego Sanchez in a, a meeting with the UFC broadcast team, like part of their ordinary fighter media meetings that happened before events. This one was from Diego Sanchez's last fight, I believe, uh, talking about how... Uh, you know, the broadcast team hadn't been fair to him. Josh Fabia goes on something like an eight minute uh, rant about how we, we need to be uh, fair to I'm going to put this in quotes, Diego Sanchez, when it sounded like what he meant to say was we all need to treat him with a little bit more kindness and kid gloves or, or, or whatever. We've had Diego or we've had Dana White come out talking about how uh, Josh Fabia is one of these scumbags that attach themselves to professional fighters to try to make money off them. And whether or not there is some irony involved in that statement, we'll just push right on through. Uh, God, I hate agreeing with Dana White. But <laughs> to, to, to say that those comments were made. And now uh, the uh, this leaked phone conversation 
Uh, it kind of seems at this point, Ben, like Josh Fabia either has already or will quickly lead to the demise of Diego Sanchez's already faltering combat sports career. And I don't know, man, this just seems like we've seen this kind of stuff happen with Diego Sanchez throughout his career, where he falls under the sway of some force or other, whether it be an old high school wrestling coach or for a while, Dan Quinn, or from some guys out in California that were led to believe screwed him out of a bunch of money at the end of their uh, partnership. And at this point, Josh Fabia. And this seems to be the most toxic, most destructive uh, partnership that we've seen from Diego Sanchez, at least in recent memory. And despite the fact that Diego Sanchez hasn't been great in the cage recently, and and like I think everybody has been concerned about his health, and a lot of people have uh, put voice to the idea that maybe he should consider walking away. He remains a really well-liked figure in this sport and like uh, a personality that we have all enjoyed over the years. And it's really hard to watch it end this way at the hands of a guy who just appears to be a complete charlatan. Yeah. And even now, like you say, you know, Diego Sanchez, well-liked and well-respected. And even this, doesn't make you change your mind really about Diego Sanchez. It's it's really kind of a the this a continuation of a lot of what we've seen throughout his career. Like when you talk about how he seems uniquely susceptible to somebody like this, like some guru type figure who comes along and tells him, "I have all the answers," and guess what? They are all unconventional. And that is exactly the kind of thing Diego Sanchez goes for. We know that about him, and. He also seems to be like a pretty loyal dude in that when he decides you're the guy, no amount of other people trying to convince him that you're a fraud is going to work. If yeah. anything, it seems like it's going to make him more committed to sticking with this guy. And it sucks. It really sucks to watch. It sucks to watch because there's like this weird dramatic irony to it where it feels like the rest of us can all see the emperor has no clothes, my dude. And Diego Sanchez, the person who most needs to realize it doesn't. And so we're all just going to watch this guy do tremendous damage to him at this stage in his career. And there's seemingly nothing anybody can do about it for the time being. And I just feel like Diego Sanchez deserves better than that. You know, Uh, you think about the career this guy's had. There's nobody else has had a Diego Sanchez kind of career just over like almost 20 goddamn years in this sport. And he's the last remaining tough one guy in the UFC. And to see it wind up like this, it just feels like like Diego Sanchez was a stray dog who MMA mistreated, you know, and when we, we let him fall into bad hands and we, we should have done better by Diego Sanchez. He deserved better. Uh, and I, I guess my big concern is what happens now, because you know, like we talked about a little bit on the Power Hour, he's out here telling people free at last and tagging every combat sports organization he can think of. And I worry that some of those people are going to look at it and go, man, you hired Diego Sanchez right now. He brings this Josh Fabio character with him. You're signing up for a train wreck, but a tr- people will show up to watch a train wreck. And maybe that's what we need. Like, I, I worry that that's the calculation that some of these people are making. I hope it's not. I hope maybe this is the one instance where all the promoters can be like, you know what? We don't need to be a part of this kind of business right now. But I fear that I am wrong about that. Yeah, if we have reached the the position that we are hoping and relying on the humanity and goodwill of MMA promoters, we've gotten to a dark place. But to that end, last question this week in the in listener mail comes to us from Swedish professional gamer. William Peter Helte probably nailed it. He writes subject line, Diego Sadchez. See what he did there. Okay. I don't like it. And then he writes, Diego's going to fight John Jacob Jingleheimer Paul, isn't he? (laughs) No, you know what? I mean, we can sit here and talk all the shit we want on Jake Paul, but he is at least savvy enough. I think to know that this one would just be depressing without being any fun and people would not get into it the same way they got into him fighting Ben Askren or trying to pick a fight with somebody like Dylan Dennis or something like you, 
you're not going to be the good guy in this fight and you're going to be the kind of bad guy who like we would just we would rather assassinate than than allow you to continue on like nobody is you're Cruella Deville at that point and uh i i don't think that that's the kind of annoying troll business he wants to be in i think he he's he's at least sharp enough to do that calculation i agree in spirit with what you're saying <laughs> but I'm not totally sure that I agree that Roman Paul will see it the same way. If you're out here looking for former UFC stars that you can beat up, and clearly Ben Askren fit the bill in that regard, I would think Diego Sanchez would look like a big old medium rare steak just sitting there on the plate waiting for you to 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 order it, cut it up, and eat it. And, you know, like like I said last week, I think on the Power Hour, uh, when you actually listen to Ulysses Paul talk about what he is up to, and he says, hey, man, I'm a troll. I'm out here trolling MMA people. I'm having fun. And frankly, I can't believe how well it's working. Everyone is just going crazy about me. They can't not mention me. You got Daniel Cormier jumping up out of his, his broadcast seat and and sprinting over to stick his finger in this guy's face and basically do an infomercial for the Paul brand during a live UFC pay-per-view. And you're kind of like already positioning yourself, at least in the view of MMA fans and other MMA fighters as a classic sort of heel persona. If you are uh, Jackie Paul, wouldn't you at some point, or doesn't this kind of like make perfect sense for you to be like, okay, now I'll beat up this guy who everybody loves and everybody knows has fallen on hard times and that will make people hate me all the more. No, I think, I think even he knows that that's the moment when it's like that scene in blood sport where all the Kumite guys stand up and turn their back on you. <laughs> I don't think he wants that. I don't think, I think that there are especially, it's not like he doesn't have a wealth of options to choose from. Everybody who is not under an exclusive contract right now, wants some of that Jake Paul money. And there are other people out there that he can probably beat. This does not feel like a a step forward to go from Ben Askren to this version of Diego Sanchez. At best, it's a lateral move. And and probably not even that. And so, no, I think that he... He's smart enough to know that it has to at least feel like you're making some kind of forward progress with all this. Who would have thought here on the co-main event podcast this week, Ben folks makes an impassioned defense for the business savvy and the good sense, not only of MMA promoters, but also Jake Paul. And also has to sit here and say, I agree with Dana White. (laughs) It's a big week for you all the way around that being a shareholder has changed me. I'm telling you that is going to do it for listener mail this week. If you have a question, comment or concern that you would like to air to the podcast in future weeks, You know how to do it. You go to the website, comainevent.com, and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. Right now, though, we're going to go ahead and get started with round number one. not to love everything that Yuri Prohaska is doing in the UFC, Ben. Just 28 years old, which makes him a spring chicken in the light heavyweight or heavyweight division. Two wins in a row now. Second round knockout of Vulcan Uzdemir back at UFC 251 in his promotional debut. Saturday night on ESPN. The second round spinning back elbow KO of Dominic Reyes that nets Prohaska two performance-based post-fight bonuses and $100,000. People are talking about maybe we fast-forward this guy into a uh, into a title shot against the Polish power of Jan Blachowicz. People are talking about maybe that this guy is the disruptive force that we need to come down the pipe at 205 pounds in the wake of the departure of Jonathan Dwight Jones. Let's talk first, I guess, just about the fighting style of Yuri Prohaska, because here's this guy, 
Uh, he's got the hair up in braids in what can only be described as, as a, a hairstyle that could also double as a handle. If a, if a giant was going to pluck you off your feet and, and toss, you could just use that hair as a handle. Uh, he's out there hands swinging around by his waist, throwing crazy strikes, uh, being very aggressive. And then he lands the spinning back elbow on Dominic Reyes to get the knockout in this fight. We know he's an absolute wild man. And I mm-hmm. guess my question for you to open this round is, is that enough? Can Yuri Prohaska, how far, I guess, can Yuri Prohaska go in your opinion with this style? And, you know, is, is he championship material, I guess, for lack of better words? You know, in the current UFC light heavyweight division, I'm not prepared to say that he's not championship material. Uh, if John Jones was still around, I, I would say it would be interesting to see what uh, how John Jones would deal with a guy like this. But really, what impressed me so much watching it is that he is such a constant forward pressure fighter just all over you from the word go. And you could see Dominic Reyes at various points trying to just land something hard enough to make this guy take a backward step. Do something. Trying to come up with something to get him to give you just a little bit of breathing room. And he won't do it. And and Dominic Reyes nailed him a few times. Yeah. Tagged him with some good hard shots. And really couldn't even change the expression on his face. And and afterwards, you look at, at your guy Yuri P. And he looks like he barely been in a fight. And it, it, yet, when you're watching it, it felt like a heart-pounding slugfest the entire way through. And that, a guy who can go out there and put it on you like that and push that kind of pace and force you to either match it or try to come up with a way to make him stop. At that weight, that's a scary dude. And that could be a problem for a lot of different people. I, I mean... You want to see somebody, I guess, with really good one-punch power and see how they can deal with it. Because if you one knock that you could make on him if you wanted to is you could look at his career before the UFC especially and be like, eh, he's beaten a bunch of blown-up middleweights. And, I mean, he does have a win over Vadim Nemkov, who, as it turned out in Bellator, is pretty fucking good. But you could make the knock that he hasn't faced those really big, powerful light heavyweights too often. And that a guy with that one punch power at light heavyweight could really change the equation. But at least for now, all that does is create for me interesting questions that I want to see answered. And whether, I mean, I think it's, it's just bad karma for everybody. If we don't give Glover Teixeira his goddamn title shot. So I'm all for doing that. But either way it goes, the winner, if it's, if it's Yanni Blackjacks, if it's Glover, having one of those guys fight Yuri seems like that was going to be a lot of fun. Like, no matter how you slice it, that's a, a, a light heavyweight title fight that I would watch. Yeah, he hasn't lost since 2015, the same night, actually, uh, of his TKO victory over Vadim Nemkov. He got knocked out by Mohamed Lawal uh, in the first round during the Ryzen World Grand Prix. Uh, tournament back in 2015 has not lost since then has run off a string of victories first in rise and now in the UFC uh, and you know we talked about this during listener mail that the departure of John Jones from this division has opened the door I think for some surprising storylines the emergence of Jan Blahovich as champion uh, Glover Tashira as sort of like the feel-good late career number one contender and I guess you got to say now Yuri Prohaska as the sort of uh rated rookie if you will this guy coming into the ufc despite the fact he's been in mma for a long time and has been a known commodity to a lot of people i think for a lot of years in this sport being the sort of newcomer to come in and disrupt the scene here at 205 pounds Uh, and honestly like obviously does he comes from a very different skill background as jonathan jones but just with the reckless abandon with the guy fights and the with which the guy fights and the spinning back elbow ko here a dominic ray is hard not to uh draw up john jones flashbacks with that one but just sort of like the the wide open style that this guy possesses and how it's fun to watch and it seems like he's having fun out there kind of reminds me a little bit of early john jones and the sort of wide open tactics we would see from him during the early part of his UFC career. Yeah. And, you know, I found myself wondering about the long shadow of John Jones on this division, even now that we're led to believe that he's gone up to heavyweight, especially because when you look at Dominic Reyes and 
he had a guy there who was unbeaten, and then he goes in to fight John Jones and really makes a good showing of it. Acquits himself very well. A lot of people think that he deserved to win that decision, but he loses the decision and then loses the next two fights after that. And somebody was asking me about it in my mailbag, and it's like if you look at John Jones, like the people John Jones has defended his title against, especially in recent years, a lot of them have really good points up until they fight John Jones, and then he beats them. And then you have a bunch of guys who go on to lose the next two or so fights. Or, you know, Anthony Smith won his very next one against uh, Alexander Gustafson, who himself lost his next two after fighting John Jones. But then he went on like a two-fight losing streak. And it's like, I, I don't know if it's that John Jones does something to you. It, that if you go in there and you fight John Jones, that it takes something out of you and that you maybe you're, you're never quite the same. You know, Thiago Santos is another good example. Or if it's just that, like, it kind of highlights the how hard it is to be a champ who stays at the top that long because you're getting a steady conveyor belt of whoever is at their best moment right now. And then, you know, they go on and it t- turns out that it looked like you got them at their absolute peak. But that's nothing. That's all you fight is guys at their absolute peak. And to, to stay as good as he has for that long, uh, it just shows you like how incredibly difficult it is. And then for a guy like Dominic Reyes, where we talked about it a little bit before the fight, like you've got to be feeling that pressure going into this fight, right? Because you don't want to lose three in a row. And it's such a precipitous fall to go from your 12 and 0 or whatever. And now you're on a three fight losing skid wondering what the hell is going wrong. But then, you know, you come into a fight like this feeling like I don't want to lose. I, I, like I can't afford to lose this one. And then you've got this absolute fucking madman with his top knot right in your face, just mauling you, throwing spinning back elbows of all goddamn things. Like, Jesus, man, that is a lot to deal with. That is a tough ask of anybody. Yeah. When Dominic Reyes was 12 and 0 after beating Chris Weidman, I don't know anybody thought he was going to just go out and lose his next three in a row. Still a pretty young guy, though, all things considered in this division, Dominic Reyes at 31 years old. Um, you know, we've seen people go on these stretches before and come back from it. And Dominic Reyes clearly, I think, has the skills to do that himself. Although the idea of the John Jones hangover is an interesting one here to, that, that uh, maybe you have to get so up for that fight that it's that it's hard to put things back together in the wake of it, uh, no matter how it goes for you. Um I know you, as you mentioned earlier, you're going to be upset if Yuri Prohaska jumps the line in front of uh, Glover Tashira here for number one contender status against uh, Jan Blahovich. I saw that the they they put out some odds today, as they so often do. Uh, early odds had Prohaska a little bit slight underdog to Blahovich in a potential light heavyweight title fight. Uh, when you you know you have this kind of like kind of surprisingly. Juicy matchup, though. So a matchup, a light heavyweight matchup with at least among the hardcore fans, a little bit of, of unexpected sizzle, I guess, in Jan Blahovich versus Yuri Prohaska, potentially. Do you run the risk of ruining that if Glover Tashira goes out here and proves himself to be the best light heavyweight in the world, defeats Jan Blahovich? Did you did you lose something there at all if you if that fight's gone up in smoke because of that? I don't know. It doesn't necessarily mean you couldn't make that fight later on down the road. Uh, I I just think that, like, Yuri Prohaska was himself a little bit surprised, it seemed, when we start to talk about him maybe fighting for a title next. And he's like, whoa, whoa, okay. I mean, I guess so, if you guys think it's a good idea. You know, I don't, I don't think it would be the worst thing in the world to let us build a little anticipation for that one. I saw people also talking about, uh, you know, just in terms of the timeline, how long he might have to wait in order to get that Jan Blahovitz Glover Teixeira fight over with and then wait for the winner to be healthy enough to turn around and fight, uh, somebody like Yuri. Like, should you go ahead and, and book Yuri against somebody else like, uh, Alexander Rakic or something? And that, I think, you know, let's not mess around. If, when, I know we're getting excited because we got a few exciting contenders, but it is still light heavyweight. Yeah. We're not talking about featherweight here where there's just always going to be six to eight super good athletic dudes with somewhere between a four and seven fight win streak at any given point. That is, that is not what's going to happen endlessly at 205 pounds. We're, we're just, we're enjoying a moment right now, but let's not 
start knocking off contenders unnecessarily once we've got somebody that we're already going like, all right, I'm excited to see this guy fight for a title. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, let's do Are You Fucking Kidding Me? And then we'll move on to round number two. Ben, what's your Are You Fucking Kidding Me this week? Well, Chad, I was watching or I was, I was reading this thing on BJPen.com, you know, one the go-to source uh, for, for news for you, I know. Yeah, I know. Uh, I know. It's, and it's your, you got it bookmarked. It's your homepage, right? Mm-hmm, you open mm-hmm. up your browser. You're right there, BJPen.com. But I see these quotes from uh, Eugene Barrowman, Israel Adesanya's coach, criticizing Robert Whitaker for, in his words, turning down the title fight. Here's the quote, Chad. Robert has to, when you turn down an opportunity like that, just like we know, when you turn down an opportunity like that, now you have to sit at the back of the list again. Now he goes into the pool again, which is unfortunate for him, but he has his reason for making his decision. But now, as far as we're concerned, he said no. He's in the pool again. Now there's all these guys coming up. There's Holland. There's Till. He was able to separate himself from that. Unfortunately, for whatever personal reasons, he hasn't taken the fight. Now he goes back into that pool, and he has to keep fighting to earn his spot, just like we would have if we'd refused the title shot. Vittori's the one that stepped up, so he's the one we're fully concentrating on at the moment. Just for a little perspective here. Robert Whitaker fought Kelvin Gastelum on April 17th. Went five rounds with him. Then, in order to turn around and go to Australia, you know, he's got to go through some quarantine stuff just to be able to get home, get back into a situation where, you know, he can train and can get back to all his usual stuff and then maybe heal up from this fight and then get back into a training camp for the next one. The date that the UFC offered him, and he hear him tell it, it was practically right out of the cage where they said, June 12th, less than two months away, do you want to turn around? And fight for the middleweight title against the guy who knocked you out last time in a huge stadium in Australia, knowing that if you lose to him a second time, you probably aren't going to get a third crack at that same guy. Less than two months with quarantine timeline stuff built in. And we're going to criticize the guy for saying, you know what? Maybe not. Maybe I'll wait for a better opportunity. Are you fucking kidding me? I feel like it's the most reasonable thing you could possibly fucking do if you're Robert Whitaker. You're not going to come to me, Chad, and tell me we're sticking Bobby Knuckles at the back of the line just because he was not willing to do something straight up dumb that would significantly harm his own chances of winning the fight. No, sir. No, sir, I say we are having none of that here. Are you fucking kidding me? Fucking kidding me? No, you I I will not hear that Bobby Knuckles slander. He's not going to the back of the line, no matter what Eugene Behrman says. That's just that's ridiculous. Ben, uh, how bad does it suck to get kicked in the fucking guts by Giga Chikadze? <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me? It's the worst thing in the goddamn world. If you can make Cub mm-hmm. Swanson need to take five, that's bad, dude. That is bad. The Giga It doesn't kick. look fun. You yeah. fucking kidding me? There's no way. There's no possible way. Not for all the money in the world. Okay. You got to choose one. You either have to take a Jiga kick right to your, your vital organs, or you got to let Francis Ngannou haul off with the right hand and blast you in the head, or the most dreaded option of all, you got to take a throat punch from that dude who felled Rug Rug. Man, RIP my throat. <laughs> Listen, if it could have Rug Rug down there on the mat with an emergency medical team attending to him, it would absolutely kill you. There's no way you could stand up to that. No, I'm You're relying. You're just a mortal man. I'm relying on the on the on the emergency response team to come in the cage okay. and save me. I'm sorry, come okay. in the circle and save me. Uh, have you seen what Giga Chikadze has going on in his social media? Seems like kind of a fun guy. He's out here having a lot of fun. He's challenging uh, Cowboy Cerrone this weekend. He says. Well, he's he's you up know for it. That whenever I see a fighter who I feel like I could get excited about, the last thing I want to do is check out his social media because usually that's when you find reasons not to get very excited about him. Are you saying I should break that rule for this one? You might just want to take a look around. Uh, I didn't see anything about human trafficking on there, so you're probably all right for at least a, a short a short look. It looked like he's mostly uh, mostly just being an adorable guy from Georgia, the country, oh, okay. the country of Georgia. Well, all right. I mean, I still think. That uh, the the real way to go is whoever that fighter was who you identified who has been on Twitter since like 2014 and has not tweeted. Still think that's the best thing you can do as an MMA fighter, but all right, I'll give it a chance. That's going to do it for round number one. We'll be right back with round number two. 
Shed, we talked a little bit on Friday's Power Hour about how you and I, as of this week, are both fully vaccinated. We planned for you a big evening out to celebrate on Friday. It involved the Fox Club strip club. I feel like you probably didn't go. Am I correct in that assumption? Yeah, no, I st- I stayed home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I thought so. Because... I did get my hair cut, though. That's pretty cool, right? If you're trying to make big plans for this week, you might want to look at what we got going on on the MMA slate on Friday night. Because you got Bellator 258 coming up on Friday. That, uh, that puts Juan Archuleta up against the little Pettis. Lil Pettis, Sergio, over there, Young doing Surge. some good things. We're going to fight over the Bellator MMA Bantamweight Championship of the world. Yeah, big doings. I know you get... You also, a little bit of a disappointing one. UL Romero somehow out of this Bellator fight because he couldn't pass a physical, which should be, frankly, terrifying for the rest of us if UL Romero is deemed unfit uh, physically. But Anthony Johnson... Going to kick off his time in Bellator in the uh, the light heavyweight tournament there. Going to take on replacement opponent, Jose Augusto Azevedo, which, listen, first of all, I know how MMA tournaments work. You tell me there's a late uh, alternate entry. I'm, I'm putting 20 bucks on that guy immediately. I don't even know anything else about him. I just know how the MMA gods like to do these things. Uh, you also got Patricky Pitbull over there against Peter Creeley and, uh, MVP is going to fight on this one. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, look for some styling and profiling to go down in that one. But if that's not enough to convince you, maybe that Friday night isn't the night that you want to be down there at the strip club, Chad. We also got a, a, another one of these PFL events going down. And, uh, this one seems, I, I'm going to say this one seems like it might, well, this one actually is Thursday. So I, I might mistake on this one, but, I'm just going to convince you that this is exactly your kind of jam with this PFL event by saying two things. One, Kayla Harrison's back in action. Two, the Tom Brady of MMA makes his PFL debut. Fabricio Verdum going out there against Hanan Fair. I mean, you're telling me you're going to miss a chance to see the Tom Brady of MMA? Mm-mm. I don't believe it. I don't believe it for a second. Yeah, I guess uh, maybe we underestimated early on uh, in the in the development of of you know these these two programming deals the sort of embarrassment of riches that we were going to get outside the UFC with uh, you know one championship having a little bit of a, of a run on Wednesday nights over there on TNT and then you got uh, PFL uh, on ESPN also doing Thursday stuff doing Friday stuff occasionally as well and of course Bellator on its new home on showtime and uh you know we're gonna talk when are you gonna go to the strip club there's when you can't go now exactly exactly you fucked up and then you know you you know we'll talk about what's coming up on saturday night from the ufc in round number three but like uh, okay then you could go that's a good night to go if you're if you're just looking to to fill up your hours with some mma you got you got a lot of stuff happening here you know you, you didn't even mention the brother of kamara usman muhammad usman is gonna fight brandon sales on this pfl card uh, and big pretty Justin Willis as well. Both those guys down there on the preliminary uh, attractions. But yeah, man, if you uh, if you're a shit eating wild man, so to speak, you got uh, you got your your evenings filled out here, is what it seems. Just watching all kinds of MMA from all over the globe. Here's what I wonder though: this version of Fabricio Verdum, I feel like I got no idea what to expect. From the go horse at this point in his career. He comes into this one. He's a significant favorite in this one. Just looking at the betting odds, he's greater than a uh, two to one favorite from the only two places or three places, I guess I've seen offering PFL odds. But, you know, the last couple times that we saw him in the UFC, it seemed like obviously the guy still has skill and they still, he granted, uh, especially as a heavyweight and everything, he seems to have the kinds of skill that could age fairly well, you know? And then he also, though, sometimes shows up and it looks like, do you really want to be there? I'm not totally convinced that you do. But, you know, now you sign with a new organization. They're calling you the Tom Brady of MMA. I 
would love to have been there when see a look on Fabrizio's face when somebody has to explain that to him. And maybe he gets a little bit of new life, but then first up, uh, your first order of business in the PFL is to fight a 31 year old dude who, dude who is six foot 10. <laughs> I mean, I guess you better be ready to go, brother. Yeah. We're not easing you in there. We're going to, we're going to find out what Fabrizio Verdum has left one way or another. The ageless wonder Fabrizio Verdum at 43 years old entering into this PFL tournament. Ben, you remember the last time we saw him in the UFC? He was out here showing and, uh, Alexander Gustafson why we got weight classes. Uh, winning that fight via first round armbar, netted himself a performance of the night bonus, and then jetted out to greener pastures. Now he's going to take a run at the million dollar prize in the PFL. Uh, going to turn forty four years old this summer is the go horse Fabrizio Verdum, and yet I think you hit the nail right on the head. You get the idea. Uh, Fabrizio Verdum could be out here tapping guys out at the county fair when he's sixty years old, right? Yeah, you don't want to I mean, wind up you... on the ground with Fab Verdum. That's for sure. You. You got that jujitsu in your blood, man. I mean, I, Fabrizio Verdum could be out here uh, pulling off sneaky Americanas on people for a long time, especially if he fights people who may be missing that skill set in their game. But also, he could show up at any point and look suddenly haggard and old and sad. Like That is a distinct possibility at this, at this stage with kind of any fight. Yeah. I mean... We're both a couple of dudes in our 40s. You want to show up and fight a 31-year-old who is six foot ten and whose nickname is Problema? <laughs> I don't think you do, man. No, I do not want those Problemas, my friend. <laughs> no, you do, do not, not want that. Uh, let's talk just momentarily about Young Surge here, Ben, because he's a pretty significant underdog against uh, Juan Archuleta in Bellator on Friday night, but... You know, we just saw the big brother, Anthony Pettis, out there to make his his try at the PFL, lost to, to Clay Collard in the opening round of the, of their tournament. Are we, Is there a possibility that we're nearing a point, or maybe we have reached it already, where Young Surge is the most prominent Pettis? Wow. Because, you know, this okay. is a guy, obviously, who would have lived in the shadow of his brother for a long time. But but now he's got a chance to go out there and get Bellator gold this week. Is it possible that Young Surge is... Uh, the leader of the Pettis pack at this point. You're saying there's been a, a Pettis pecking order upheaval. It's possible. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I still think he might have a job of work cut out for himself in this fight, but I, I don't know. It, it would seem like if he can go over there after it seemed like maybe sort of hit a, a roadblock in the UFC. And if he could go over in Bellator, become a champion there. Uh, I think that that would be the kind of thing that would make everybody have to stop and reevaluate some of the conclusions they may have jumped to about young surge. Uh, I don't, it, it also seems like just look at this one on paper. I feel like it's going to be a lot of fucking fun to watch that fight. Yeah. Like a lot of other times, Chad, I would recommend that you go ahead and go to the strip club and just keep an eye, keep an eye on the results on your phone Maybe see if they can turn one of the TVs. You're not going to get sound because they got to listen to Kickstart My Heart uh, and uh, Kid Rock and stuff when when the girls come out. But if you could, you know, maybe get one of the TVs, I would tell you, yeah, that's fine. You just keep an eye on it. This one, though, you might actually want to give it your full undivided. Yeah. Because doesn't it seem like either way it goes, that's going to be just an exciting action fight. Yeah, those guys are, are both going to be going for it over there. That's 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 when you want to have on the television at home. Uh and so that's where I'll be, reading BJPenn.com, just like always. You know how I do. Just constantly refreshing BJPenn.com. Anyway, that's going to do it for round number two. We'll be right back with round number three. up this morning ben and i went to the internet to look up the fight card for this weekend's ufc on espn 24 event aka usp or ufc vegas 26 aka ufc on espn tbd versus tbd 
Because okay. first I went over to the Wikipedia page. I saw that the only fight listed was a middleweight contest between Jun Yong Park and uh, Tafan Nichuiki. Nailed it. Nailed it. And uh, then I went to the UFC website. I was like, okay, I'll go straight to the source, find out what we're doing this weekend, what we got put together in the wake of uh, Corey Sandhagen versus TJ Dillashaw falling, falling apart and Diego Sanchez's somewhat unexpected cut from the UFC. I go to the UFC and the UFC's homepage is an all black page with no fighters on it that says TBD versus TBD. Ben, I had to go to SureDog.com, the mm-hmm. venerable old gray lady of Back MMA journalism. Yeah. Which, by the way, shout out for SureDog.com for just uh, being a constant in our lives all these years, man. And mm-hmm. frankly, still looking exactly the same as it did 10 years ago. I appreciate that. Right now, we got Marina Rodriguez versus Michelle Watterson listed as your uh, as your main event of this thing. Although earlier today on Ariel Helwani's show with uh, with Daniel Cormier, he was making some leading statements about a quote unquote developing situation regarding that fight. So we don't know exactly what's going on there. Uh, Donald Cerrone is listed as the co-main versus unknown fighter. And after okay. that, you actually got. You know, I'm not going to say a, a high-profile event, but just considering the fact that the UFC itself did not even have this card up at its website, I am surprised at the number of recognizable names that you see as you just scan down through this thing. Neil Magny going to take on Jeff Neal, the Crochet Boss, Maurice Green back in action, Gregor Gillespie makes his return, Angela Hill out here going to fight Amanda Reboss, Ben Rothwell versus Felipe Linz, Phil Hawes going to be in action in this thing, uh... So, like, you might not expect it, given that uh, we're trying to keep these fights a secret, apparently, over there at the UFC. But assuming that this thing goes off as scheduled, you got you got a lot of somewhat uh, recognizable names on this fight card. But don't you feel like TBD versus TBD is the matchup we have been building to as a UFC main event for years? Yeah, that's the way that the entire subculture has been headed. It's true. Also... If I'm Donald Cerrone and I look over and see unknown fighter as my opponent, I uh, how am I supposed to game plan for that, man? That's I mean, a tough one. If, is Cowboy Cerrone really game planning at this point, <laughs> or is he just doing some some rounds down there at the BMF Ranch, showing up, uh, doing his Donald Cerrone thing and letting the chips fall where they may? I mean, if we can get Donald Cerrone a replacement fight in there. It'd be kind of a sweet move to look across the cage right before the fight's about to start and then turn to your cornerman and, like, in a stage whisper kind of thing, loud enough to be overheard, be like, oh, it's that guy? I thought it was a different guy. <laughs> I, I, I thought we were talking about a different guy. Okay. No, this this should be fine. Don't worry about it. And you just go out there and try to kick him in the body as hard as you can. Obviously, uh, the UFC's place atop the mountain is, is as secure as it's ever been. And as we have discussed before, I'm not sure what it would take to to knock the the crown off the head of, of that fight company, especially during this ESPN era. But like we talked about in round two, you know, pretty good effort from the PFL uh, featuring Kayla Harrison on, on Thursday night. Pretty good effort from Bellator over there on Showtime featuring a title fight between Juan Archuleta and Young Surge on Friday night. And then you roll into Saturday and the UFC's website is literally a black void. That's that's all it's showing you, and it says TBD versus TBD. I don't know, man. If you had to pick one of these nights to stay home and watch the fights and one of them to go out and, and go to the strip club, because uh, I know you've been getting excited about that, what would you do it's here? It's been so long. It's been so very long. I mean, it does seem like, as you mentioned, there is stuff that the UFC could promote on this card. And it also, it's hard not to get a sense of certain kind of complacency. The DOC says, look, we got a card on Saturday night. You shit-eating wild people who watch every single one of these are still going to watch it. We don't need to give you any special reason. You know, if you want to know who's on it, look it up, jerk. You know, it'll be here and ESPN going to pay, pay us for it either way. So, you know, you go ahead and do you. And we're not really going to worry about it too much. That That does seem like the kind of general vibe that you're getting there. Because, like, yeah, when you start to list off some of the matchups, you're like, okay, those are fun, interesting fights. I could get down for those. I also feel like once you factor in some of the 
stuff that you're expected to sit through just to make it through an entire UFC card on uh, ESPN these days, you might also be forgiven for being like, you know what, I'll catch the ones I care about on Sunday morning. Uh, couldn't blame you too much for that. But yeah, it does seem like everybody else is trying really hard to make their case to MMA fans with whatever they can find, trying to put together the best possible sales pitch while the UFC is just being like, I don't know, man, we got some guys. Don't you worry. There'll be some guys and some girls who show up to fight and uh, they'll all be in venom and you don't need to think about it beyond that. The only thing you need to know is that it goes down in the sports legendary octagon, my friend. It's going to say manscaped.com all the way around the outside of it. All the way. It does feel like a bit of a dead week here the week before UFC 262. So I guess you can't blame the UFC too much if most of the attention is being paid to um, May 15th when you're going to have Charles Oliveira and Michael Chandler go out there and fight, uh, you know, for the vacant lightweight title. And then Leon Edwards versus Nate Diaz in the uh, in the co-main, not even not even to mention Tony Ferguson versus Benil Dariush right before that. So, like, I guess if you if you're uh, maybe if you're the UFC web designer, you put your pouring your heart and soul into that one. And, and you're not so much worried about what's happening this weekend on UFC on ESPN 24. I don't know. Uh, should we roll out just saying stuff here and then get out of here for this week? Sure. Ben, we talked last week about the rumors that the fight that might occur was Kamzat Chemayev versus Nick Diaz mm-hmm. here in Kamzat Chemayev's return. Well, now we get this quote from uh, Diaz manager Kevin Mubwenga. This from uh, Mookie Alexander's story over there at Bloody Elbow is where I'm reading it. Here's the quote statement to ESPN's Ariel Helwani. He's a good prospect, respectfully, but he hasn't earned the right to a mega fight versus Nick Diaz. So let's put these rumors to rest. So I guess this week, I'm just saying, oh, thank God. Oh, God. I was not looking forward to watching Kamzat Chemayev just destroy Nick Diaz. And I'm glad that that is not what we're going to do. Just saying. Yeah, just saying. Well, Chad, I'm just saying, I am going to read you a headline from the Orange County Register newspaper. Is this from BJPen.com? Orange County Register. Okay, I know you do most of your uh, surfing of the worldwide web over at BJPen.com. So that's that's already a little bit of a heads up as to who is going to be the subject. Okay. (laughs) The headline reads... Huntington Beach Mayor Pro Tem Tito Ortiz filed for unemployment even as city checks kept coming. It goes on in this fashion. Two months into his first term as a council member and with his city checks still coming, Huntington Beach Mayor Pro Tem Tito Ortiz filed an unemployment claim with the California Employment Development Department. Public records show that Ortiz, whose legal name is Jacob C. Ortiz, sought unemployment benefits on February 22nd of this year. Naming the city as his employer, he gave his first day of work as December 7th, 2020, when he was sworn in. After comfortably winning his seat in the November election, he stated that his last day of work was February 9th, 2021, although he still serves on the council. Uh, Ortiz did not return calls asking for comment, in case you are wondering about that. Um, I'm just saying... I'll go back to the first line of this story. Two months into his first term as a council member. This. We knew that Tito Ortiz becoming an elected official in Huntington Beach was going to lead to some unintentional hilarity and possibly disaster. And yet, even I have been surprised by just how much stuff he's managed to pack in to a pretty short time. I mean, sworn in in December and already feels like some sort of mini scandal a week. And all that's just like the Huntington Beach mayor pro tem. It's not like we're asking him to be a fucking senator or something. We're not really asking him to do that much except show up to the meetings, wear a mask, and maybe try to be the guy you claim you are. He filed an unemployment claim? Tito Ortiz hates big government except for when he he wants that money. What in the fuck, man? (laughs) I guess that's going to do it for this week's co-main event podcast. I just got my mind blown here in the last couple minutes, so I'm going to have to take a minute to regroup after we're done here. But uh, 
if you really want your mind blown, I need to send you the actual story so you can look and see the photo they went with because it is mwah, like someone over there, the, the photo editor at the OC register is doing their goddamn job. Well, I can't it's, wait to see it. He's wearing a Christmas-themed shark sweater. You can see people in the foreground of the photo wearing masks. He, of course, is not. Um, but it, there's right there on the center of his chest, big-ass shark wearing a Santa hat. And the shark itself is wearing a Christmas sweater. So there's layers of this shit. Perfect. On that note... I have no idea how we would even move forward. So that's going to be the end of this week's co-main event <laughs> podcast. Thanks everybody for listening. Reminder, we're over at the Patreon page all week, patreon.com slash co-main event with the live chat, the movie club and the power hour coming up on Friday. As we said, all show long, pretty, pretty chock full week of MMA action Thursday through Saturday here. So get your fill and we'll be back on Monday for the proper to break it all down and then look ahead to UFC 262. As for right now, though, we are done, we are through, we are out. How, how could Tito Ortiz consider himself to be unemployed? This is, this is the only time during the last decade that Tito Ortiz has had a job. This is the only time he hasn't been unemployed. Uh, Didn't he also just fuck, get like a, like a PPE loan or something during the pandemic? I'm sure, I'm sure he's getting all the cash he can, man. And he's like counted himself as a business owner like the entire time that he's running. I just well, I guess you sent me the link here. I gotta go look at this photo. You gotta see that the this sweater has a shark, and the shark's wearing a sweater. That's I can't hate on that. You know? That's just that's how you do a Christmas sweater right there. Oh my god. Wow. That's amazing. That's amazing. <laughs>